to welcome everybody today to the April edition of Dairy Science Digest. We're joined today by Dr. Matt Lucy, and he's a reproductive physiologist, but he's also the chief editor for the brand new Journal of Dairy Science Communications. So we're going to gather here today to learn a little bit about he and his team's research project, and then maybe learn a little bit more about Journal of Dairy Science Communication Edition, which is slightly different than the Journal of Dairy Science that we've been highlighting over the past year. So without further ado, the the title is Reproductive Performance of Early and Late Calving Dairy Cows that are in grazing herds. And and you were analyzing the effects of artificial insemination after synchronization. Could you tell us a little bit about about the project? Could you set it up for us? Yeah, sure. So um, in Missouri, we have a large number of grazing dairies. They have to maintain a yearly calving interval. And for cows that calf early in the calving season, and this is not a, uh, a big problem. They have plenty of time to, they have their calf and there's plenty of time before you start breeding. And so they have high fertility when you initiate the breeding. But you always have some cows that for whatever reason, they calf later in the calving season, perhaps within 30 days of the start of breeding and they have lower overall fertility, and they are are at risk of never getting pregnant. And so um, we wanted to determine whether or not it would be appropriate to apply an estrus synchronization program to those cows. And that's what we did, that's what we tested. We tested, there was some control and there was cows that calved early in the calving season, which would be normal. And we had control, no treatment and synchronized. And then we had cows that calved late in the calving season. And we also had control and synchronized. And we compared those groups. Very good. And, and there's an excellent graphic that's available on the Journal of Dairy Science Communications front page that shows the different treatments, the two by two factorial, where you've got the early calving, the late calving, and, and then how you synchronize it up to just find the difference. Um, and of course, early calving for the seasonal based dairies is so incredibly important in order to best match that forage curve. So what did you find? What would you like folks to know about results? Well, I think, I think what I would, would say is, is, is this. The first thing you would say is that early, if a cow calves early in the calving season and has lots of time before you start breeding her, her fertility is going to be superior. Okay, that's the first thing. So you're you're, you're always best if you're if you're going to be seasonal that you want a cow that calves early in the calving season and has about sixty days before you start to try to breed her. I saw that your your body condition score was much higher for those early calving cows and yeah, less problematic. Usually. So you always want to have cows that calf early, but the question is, what do you do with the late calving cows? And I think what we take away is doing nothing is probably not a good strategy. For sure, on those later calving cows, if you can apply some sort of a synchronization uh, program to them, that you can get, you can ensure that you get semen into that group of cows at the beginning of the breeding season. That's basically what we did. We designed a synchronization program 
that would ensure that those cows would get semen early in the early in the breeding season. And so, yes, the fertility was overall maybe the conception rate for that synchronization was around 30%. And you'd say, well, that's not very good. And you're right, that's not very good for a first insemination conception rate. But you have to realize if you did nothing, you would have far fewer pregnant cows and those cows would get pregnant later in the calving season. In other words, that's 30% of these late calving cows that got pregnant on the first day of the calving season. So even though the number isn't ideal, it's a number and it's superior to doing nothing. nothing. That's the yeah. idea. Better than yeah. zero. It's yeah. better than zero, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, there's, as, as Paul Fricke, my good friend said, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's two rules to get pregnant cows. Rule one is put semen in the cow, right? Right. Right. Rule two is if, if uh, she's not pregnant, refer to rule one. Okay. You know, there's <laughs> only, you got to put semen in the cows or else they do not get pregnant. And so that's basically what we're trying to do with that one, you know, is get semen in the cows early during the calving season. I was looking through the the synchronization protocol that you guys employed comparing the the early versus the late calving and and what we can do to really hone in on those late calving cows. And it looked like you used a a series of cedars. Can you describe? So I think a lot of the listeners are going to be very familiar with the off-sync off-sync program, but tell us about the, the second cedar that went in 14 days later. Right, and so so we had to, we we used cedars uh, twice on these cows, and and like and like you said, the the first one was a fairly standard uh, cedar obsync program where where the uh, uh, where we uh, they were on an obsync and we put a cedar in for a week during that obsync program, and um, the reason we did that was if you have a late calving cow. Um, they're at risk for not cycling. And so if you if you use a cedar off-sync program, you're more likely to get them cycling as opposed to, to doing nothing. So that was the concept with the cedar off-sync uh, program. So anytime you have sort of a um, funny situation with a cow, a cedar off-sync is, is a good option. It's always a good option. It's, it's very robust and it's always, you're not gonna go wrong with some sort of a cedar off-sync program. But then the other, the other, the second time we put a cedar in the cows was for what we call resynchronization, and um, we were really kind of constrained with what we could do on these farms. There's lots of different ways to do a resynchronization in a dairy, but on a grass-based dairy, you really need a resynchronization program that is going to get semen back into non-pregnant cows as quickly as possible, okay? So that's the, that's the constraint. You need something, you know, in confinement dairies, a lot of times we don't start resynchronizing open cows beginning 32 days maybe after breeding and we might put semen back in them 42 days. That's too long an interval. We needed something a little bit shorter. So the program we used was to put a cedar in uh, on 14 days after breeding and pull it out 21 days after breeding. And that might seem kind of odd, but if you look at the original cedar approval, that's what it was for. 
In other words, they were originally approved to resynchronize cows by putting the cedar in on 14 days after breeding and pulling out on day 21. And the effect that that has is if that cedar is in there, the cow is not going to come back in the heat. And so when you pull the cedar out, they hopefully come back and eat all in a group and it's easier to find them, detect estrus and rebreed them. If there were something that you'd want to change about the research project, what would that be? Now, if there was one sort of failure of the study, it would be the resynchronization program. If you look at the uh, survival plots for pregnancy, uh, what you can clearly see is we didn't get a lot of cows pregnant at second service. Okay, we got a whole bunch of cows pregnant at first service, and we did not get a lot of cows pregnant at second service. So the reasons for that are, there's twofold. First of all, you know, that's not, that's not really an ideal resynchronization program. It's never been, it's not industry kind of standard. Um, that'd be the first reason. The second reason is that um, when you pull that cedar, you're breeding off heats. You're not doing a time to AI, you're breeding off heats. And anytime you breed off heats, then it brings in the heat detection and everything else. And as soon as you bring in the heat detection, you're, you don't catch cows and you start violating uh, rule two, which is if she's not pregnant, you gotta go back to rule one, okay? And so, and so I would say that would be the part of this program that really kind of failed. We didn't really get a good second service conception rate you know, at a really confined interval. And so the takeaway message is, I think, or, you know, yeah, if, even if she's a late calving cows, I think we started cows, I think it, as early as 10 days was crazy. We didn't breed at 10 days postpartum, but we started them early. And um, you'll get some pregnancies with a synchronization program that you wouldn't get if you did nothing. And certainly not conventional, but at least you you save that cow. You oh, keep yeah. her in the, you keep her into the, in the herd and you're able to recycle and, and, and use her again the, the following year and kind of honing in on that first, uh, first service pregnancy rate, looking at the data, it looked like you gained 23% more pregnancy rate on that first service. If, if I'm doing the math right. And that's, yeah. that's huge. Yeah. Keeping them tight in that six week window. Absolutely, you know, particularly for grass-based guys that are, you know, that need to get cows pregnant. You know, I think, I think if she's an early calving cow, do you benefit from synchronization? You probably are, but the real benefit is, so if she's early calving, if she's normal, yeah, you're going to get some benefits from synchronization, but you're going to get a, I think in my mind, you get a much greater benefit if you manage those late calving cows with it, because you make sure you get semen in those cows, you know, and, and, and you get, um, and again, the fruits don't expect, you know, cows 30 days postpartum and you breeder don't expect, you know, 50% conception rate, you know, but, but 30 is better than zero, which is your other option, you know, is do nothing, right. you know, and so, I always tell people, you know, when, you know, by doing nothing, that's a decision too. Okay, doing nothing is a decision. And so, but that's not the right decision. You know, doing something is usually the right decision in these things. It will result in keeping more cows, cows in your herd. Yeah, for sure, yeah.
I guess as as we kind of wrap up here a little bit, uh, one of my absolute favorite questions that I like to ask every single researcher is if there was one specific thing that you wanted to take home and and give to the guys with boots on the ground, what would be the one message that you would send home to them? I say the number one message is if you want to get printed cats, you have to get semen in the cats, okay? And, and what these types of programs give you is they ensure that at the end of the day, when you've invested all that time and effort on this cow, that you give her an opportunity to get pregnant, okay? And that opportunity only comes from putting semen in her, okay? That's, that's, a, you know, that's something that we had to learn. You know, it's so obvious today, but you know, when I started in my career, the idea that you, know, you needed to breed every cow, regardless of stage postpartum or whatever else was going on with that cow, was, was quite foreign. You, know, you always waited till the cow was in perfect condition and everything was right. And then you put semen in her when she was in perfect body condition and perfect days postpartum, and then we bred her. And you know what? We shipped a lot of cows because they never got there. They never got there, okay? And, and so they never got pregnant. And now we kind of realize that, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna lose some ground on those cows, but if you get them pregnant, you give them another chance, you know, and you give them a whole year to get, get better again and, and come back around. And so that, that's really the an important message. I really appreciate your time, Dr. Lucy, in, in talking with dairy producers today and, and helping them understand the different techniques that they can use for these seasonal grazing herds to help prevent culling cows because of reproduction, even if, even if they're late calvers, we got to get them back in calf. And so listeners, I applaud you also for taking time out of your day today to learn about how synchronization strategies can help make you a profit by the end of the year. I really do want you to describe a little bit about the new effort with the Journal of Dairy Science communication piece. This is the second edition or the second month of release or Mm -hmm. how? So the Journal of Dairy Science, um, so I'll start with the Journal of Dairy Science. It is a publication with the American Dairy Science Association. And um, it has expanded tremendously in the last five years. Tremendous growth, uh, faster than any other... Faster than any other animal type journal, faster than any other journals in the Elsevier platform, this thing is growing. So it's, it's kind of known as the gold standard for dairy science research. And um, when journals get really big, they get really, they become more and more difficult to manage. And typically what journals will do is they'll start uh, butting off other journals that are still within the sort of the brand, but have a slightly different focus. And that was the, that was the birth of the Journal of Dairy Science Communications. And so it became quite evident that there was a lot of data out there that maybe, um, maybe a very focused sort of study that's asking a specific question and it would fit in a sort of concise format. And um, that's what we're looking for. So we call them short communications. They're concise, they're very specific focused questions that are of interest to the dairy science uh, community. What's nice about JDS communications is 100% open access. So um, you do not need to be a member of the Dairy Science Association or 
or a university or anything else, you go online, you can find this paper downloaded, it's yours. It's 100% open access, it's yours. As soon as we publish it, it's yours, it's for everyone. And the other thing that's nice about JS Communications is the papers are short, okay? So I don't know if you read too many JDS articles, they can be really long, okay? And these are um, limited to about five pages and um, uh, three a couple of figures. And as you mentioned already, it has that graphical abstract in the front end. And if people do a good job with that, I find that that's um, fantastic. And what a graphical abstract is, is a picture and a very brief summary with key points. So you don't need to even read the whole paper. You can just, if it's a good graphical abstract, you can just get that and it'll pretty much give you an idea of what's going on, you know? So that's that, that's, that's that effort. I really, I really enjoy it. I've been meaning to get a hold of you to talk a little bit about this uh, new platform yeah. because you're the editor of it, right? Right. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. kind of my baby. Uh, yeah. Yes. And so, uh, when I came off the Journal of Dairy Science as editor in chief of Journal of Dairy Science, I was just becoming, in, you know, kind of in, increasingly frustrated with the length of papers and just the text that was going into the typical paper in Journal of Dairy Science. And I, I love. I don't know if I'm a history buff, but I'm certainly a type of guy who likes to read old literature. And if you look at the Journal of Dairy Science in 1940, you know, all the papers were short. They were all four pages long. You know, it was like somebody was asking a very simple question and there wasn't all this stuff, you know, and they just asked it. And I thought to myself, well, well, why not? You know, I mean, it's just like so much more pleasant to read a paper that just has one objective. You know, now there were different objectives back then. They were, you know, they were maybe, I don't know if easier questions, but simpler questions. We ask more complex questions now, but, and that's, that's how this kind of got going was this concept that there needs to be more greater focus in the publishing. And, you know, ironically, we think we think of these as short communications, but if you look at the elite journals in, in the scientific literature, the ones that the elite ones that are global, nature and science and all this other stuff, they are typically about 5,000 words, which is how many words we have. So in other words, it's not, it's, it's not that this is unusual, right. it's that the Journal of Dairy Science births these, you know, huge overweight caps, okay? <laughs> and and uh, they need to be like, Boom, you know, we gotta get, we gotta do some, boom, a little bit smaller, if that makes some sense. Well, I really, I love the concise nature of, of this particular publication. And that, that yeah. front page graphical is singing my name where it's got the idea of the entire project just right there. And I'm a visual yeah. learner anyway. And so yeah. it's, it's really helpful to wrap my head around it. Well, this is Reagan Blue with the Dairy Science Digest, a monthly podcast project designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to your ears, highlighting peer-reviewed research articles in press. This is sound science to base your management decisions around, provided by your University of Missouri Dairy Team. So please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to get future editions straight to your cell phone.